Welcome back, my friends, to the Grief Observed podcast. I am your host, Brad Morell. If you want to be on the podcast to tell your story of grief, uh, contact me at griefobservedpodcast at gmail.com. I will tell you, it has been crazy around here lately. I've had so many people stepping up to the uh, plate to speak about their grief journey, and I really appreciate it. Um, I am going to slow down just a little bit and maybe start putting these out, maybe one or two per week uh, relatively soon. So I'll have several more out really soon. And then it's, I'm just going to kind of dial back a little bit. And, uh, but anyway, don't let that stop you from sending me an email if you want to be on the show. Uh, my guest today is an old friend acquaintance that I have, uh, I've had for many years. And uh, she wants to speak a little bit about her grief journey. Um, she's had a few losses in life, and um, she just wants to talk about how that's kind of changed life for her. So I want to bring on my next guest, Nancy. Nancy, thanks for joining me today. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited about being able to share this um, with you and your listeners. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. And one detail that uh, I kind of missed up front with you is you're a licensed clinical social worker. So not only do you have some uh, life experience, but you also have some some good book knowledge to share with listeners. And I, I certainly <laughs> appreciate you bringing that to the table. So Yeah. And certainly grief is a big part of why I do what I do or, you know, what's led me to where I am now. Yeah. So why don't you tell a little bit about yourself first? Let's go there. Okay. Um, I was born and raised here in Northeast Tennessee. I am the youngest child of three, the only girl, and my brothers are both 10 and 12 years older than me. Um, so I was the baby by quite a bit. Um, I grew up with my mom and my dad and my brothers. Um, my dad was an office manager for a doctor's office uh, my entire um, childhood. Um, and my mom was a housewife and a homemaker. Now, she did get her degree in social work, um, but never actually practiced it. I think her goal in life was to be a housewife and homemaker. Um, but in addition to be a housewife and homemaker, my mom did a lot of informal social work in the community, um, was very involved with the church, um, with um, doing like the leading the women's Bible study groups with visiting the elderly, the sick, the homebound, going to the hospitals to take flowers, taking food to people. Um, and of course that also included a lot of going to funerals. Mm. Um, and when you're little like that, I went everywhere my mother went. So it was very common um, for me to go with her on these visits um, to, to see the sick and the, the shut-ins, um, and to go to all these funerals. Um, so I felt like this, that was an important part of my story to share. Um, another part of history that I do want to add to it is when I was very young, three and four, around three or four years old, my dad lost both his sister and his mom in over the course of six months. Mm. Um, and of course I don't have, I you know that's pre-verbal memory there. Um, I feel like I have some glimpse of a memory of being at my grandmother's funeral, but it isn't much of anything. Um, but certainly that those losses, um, significantly impacted my father, um, mm -hmm. and ultimately how my father interacted with the family, um, so I think from my perspective, um, our family didn't grow up in a family that was very knowledgeable um, or accepting of emotional needs or mental health needs. Um, so emotions were oftentimes very shut down, ignored, dismissed. Um, and so I suspect based on conversations from a, with adults in my life at that time. And just what I observed that when my dad faced those losses, um, he kind of shut down and he withdrew from the family, quit attending family get togethers, quit coming to church with us, quit going on family vacations. So even though my father was 
present in my life and present in my home, um, he wasn't um, actively present. Does that make sense? It does. And I'm curious if, if uh, knowing what you know about mental health and knowing that men just don't, we, we don't share our feelings. And a lot of times we lock up about things like that. And, and in fact, I, I'm glad I, tomorrow I'll actually be interviewing a, another man. And I've only had, uh, I think three on at this point, and this should be episode 28. So that kind of tells you, um, just in a grief podcast, there's not a lot of men that's willing to speak about it. So how much of gender do you, do you think plays a role in, in the way he was? Um, I, I do think that there's a lot of it. I, I mean, I think that there's family, like, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, family patterns that exist, but I will also say my mother wasn't very emotional, but my mother, um, lost her father when she was 13 and her mom went back to school. So my mom also didn't really get a chance to grieve. She became kind of the caretaker of her younger siblings. Mm. Um, so I just don't think that, I mean, whether it's the culture of that error, the culture of the family, um, it just, I mean, there's, there was mental health issues, I do believe, but it just, it wasn't well understood, um, in my family. And I do think gender does play a role in that. And that will come up certainly later as I discuss what happens, um, in my teenage years. Um, so I do have a lot of compassion for my father, um, because I don't think that it was easy for him. And I certainly don't know that he knew how to deal with whatever he was feeling. Um, mm. But I do know my mom and my maternal grandmother both saying a lot, just how much my dad changed after the, he experienced those two deaths. Um, so that kind of sets the stage um, that along with uh, two much older brothers um, who grew up in that same family culture of, just not a lot of acknowledgement of emotions and understanding of mental health and, and those kinds of things. So by the time I was in third grade, I was an only child. Um, both my brothers were off to college. So it was just me and my mom and my dad. Um, so I guess that kind of leads me up to my first big loss. Um, when I was, I had just finished up eighth grade. Um, and I remember my mom and my dad sitting, uh, me and my brothers down calling us all together. And then, you know, something's wrong, right? Like you, mm -hmm. you may not exactly understand what's going on, but you know, something's up. And they sat all of this down and explained that, um, mom had cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember my eighth grade brain thinking like I knew my world was just devastated. Um, but past that, you just kind of get back into living life. So mom had surgery and in my, you know, I guess 13 year old brain, um, I'm thinking everything's going to be okay. What I'm hearing, I don't know exactly what I was told. Um, but what I'm hearing is if they can get it, all the cancer out with surgery, you know, she won't have to have radiation. She'll be okay. Um, and then find out she has to have radiation. And so I, in my brain, I'm thinking, okay, she has radiation. Everything will be okay. This will all be behind us. This will be over. Um, and she went through radiation and she completed it. Um, and uh, looking at, I guess, maybe six months later, the cancer comes back again. Um, and this time, um, so it was cancer of her mouth. Um and this time when the cancer came back, it deformed her face. Um, and through all of this, I think to some extent, one, I'm a 13 year old, um, 14 year old. Um, you're a little wrapped up in yourself. Um, yeah. I was going to say, what do you know about life at age 13 <laughs> anyway? Right. Right. I mean, 
and I think that there is some, you know, if you've worked with teenagers, you know, there's a little bit of that thinking of nothing bad ever happens to me. Bad stuff only happens to everybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's, you know, this isn't real. So to some extent I dissociated, I just allowed myself to get wrapped up in my day-to-day life and pretend this wasn't happening to me. Um, so anyway, the cancer comes back, it's Christmas. Um, I actually learned from a conversation with my aunt, um, just a few weeks ago that it was Christmas night that mom found that the cancer was coming back. Mm. So this time it resulted in her having to go to Vanderbilt to have a significant portion of her mouth, um, and her jaw, her teeth removed, um, again, significantly just, you know, distorting her face. Um, and of course we're always hopeful that this is going to take care of it. Um, and she began to have complications, you know, not too long after that and resulted in her going back to Vanderbilt again, um, for another surgery. Um, I'm in the midst of my freshman year. I'm, you know, making friends. I'm in band. I'm in color guard. Um, I do remember again being dissociated, but dad would ask, do I want to go to Vanderbilt, you know, to be with my mom? And I'd be like, no, I don't, I don't want to go. Um, but I do remember when they came back from Vanderbilt that second time, dad asking me or telling me, your mom is not going to survive this if she doesn't have chemo, but your mom is not strong enough right now to have chemo. So I don't know that it was ever outright said your mother is dying. Um, but it was understood. Um, I, the remainder of the events, um, or some of the events there are a little bit blurry. Um, I've had a hard time recalling some of it, um, which is all things that have come up within the last few months of trying to recall and remember, but, um, it was spring break, my freshman year, they put mom in hospice in the hospital. Um, and she passed away the Friday, the last day of my spring break. Um, you said your senior year? No, my freshman year. Oh, freshman year. I'm sorry. Right. All of this from diagnosis to death was 11 months. Wow. Closer to 10 months. Um, It all happened very, very quickly. Um, So I guess getting past that part, 14 years old, I've lost my mom. Um, I'm fairly dissociated or disconnected from the events that are going on because there's part of me that just really wants to believe that it's not happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and also given the dynamics of, you know, a father who wasn't entirely present during my childhood and two much older brothers wrapped up in their own lives and also not fully understanding emotions and mental health. And granted, I was a female <laughs> in this, um, a highly sensitive female with emotions. Um, but there was some part of me that knew when mom died, I couldn't depend on my father for, to meet my emotional needs. Um, and that's, you know, that's based on experience and things that I observed, observed throughout my childhood. Um, and I, knew then I had to figure out how to do this on my own. Um, So um, I think at that point in time, I really just shut down my emotions. Um, I didn't cry a whole lot. Now there, I mean, there were times um, you just break down, just being overwhelmed with emotion. Um, But I really shut down my emotions. Um, and as a family, like we are close, um, I live within a half mile of both of my brothers um, and their families. Um, and I know I can depend on them for anything, but we don't talk about my mom. We don't talk about, you know, we don't reminisce or um, about those kinds of things. Um, so connecting on an emotional level is um, not there but I know that they are there for me. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Right. 
Um, so 14 years old, experiencing the loss of your mom, grief is, grief is a monster. Yes. Um, and even shutting down your emotions doesn't make that go away. Um, so I will own it's it shutting down, not processing it. Although I believed it was what I needed to do at that time. Um, it prolonged the grief and made it so much more difficult because that meant there was a lot of processing I had to do later. Um, and on my own. Um, so I guess that's a big part of why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like like things, little things I'm, I'm missing out that are important. I will say that when my mom at my mom's funeral, I saw all the people that were present for her funeral, um, rooms of people. The line was enormous and just seeing all those people, um, I made the vow to myself, um, sitting on that bench in the funeral home that I wanted to have an in positive impact on as many people's lives as I could. So hmm. I really, truly feel like that set the stage. Um, I watched the wonderful things that my mother did, um, and watched how it impacted others. It's interesting that you um, you knew at an early age that you were going to impact many because of the things that had happened in your life. And, you know, when I look back, I think I can see the stage being set now from afar, but I didn't realize it till, wow, like I, I didn't start counseling till I was 42 and here I'm 48, you know, so I'm six years deep into this, but I... I can look back now and see that I was called to do so, but there was so much noise in life that I didn't hear that calling for many, many years. So it's interesting to hear that you, you knew at this moment that I'm going to do something great for many people. So I don't know. I, I find that interesting. That's yeah, awesome. And it's not that that the line was clear um, because I know sure. You know, listening to some of your other podcasts, and I, I had to to laugh, identifying that even when I started grad school, I didn't know I was, I didn't think I was going to be a therapist. That wasn't why I went into grad school. I went into grad school because I loved social work and just wanted to learn more about mm -hmm. how to help people. Um, but all of this is why I am where I am today. Um, so. You know, as a, as a kid, it, there's no part of me that says I wanted to lose my mom at 14, Sure. but I never doubted for a moment that God had a purpose in this. And this was to serve a role in my life. Um, I was never angry with God. Now, as a Christian, there's been things I've been angry with God with at times, but this was never one of them. Mm. Um, I miss my mother. I wish she could have been a part, a bigger part of my life. And I see all the ways my life would be different if she had been, um, if she had lived. Could you say there's good and bad things though, as far as like, um, how your life has developed without your mom, for example, yes. I, I, I think a lot of times, um, sometimes maybe we're too dependent on a person. And then when they're removed from our lives, it, it forces us into a growth period. I think, I mean, and you can deny that call too, you know, but I think sometimes it, it's, it forces you into um, different things in life that you may not have done without that loss. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, again, I, I think had it not been for losing my mom at 14, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. But I also know that losing my mom at 14 created in me an over independence. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, which is not healthy either. 
did you feel like you kind of grew up overnight or? Um, I mean, I think there's an aspect of you have to grow up, Mm -hmm. um, but it's, you know, it's, you learn to not depend on others, or at least in the situation I felt like I was in that I just, I had to do it all by myself. Right. Um, I remember dad asking me if I wanted to see a therapist. Well, again, considering, you know, kind of the culture I grew up in, no, I'm not going to go to therapy. Therapy is only for crazy people. I have friends and family and they can provide for me everything that I need. Um, and then you learn your friends and family, they, they're not always able to provide everything that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you learn to just kind of figure out life um, on your own, um, independent of all that. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, um, I, I think it, kids who are forced into certain situations, um, such as yourself, you know, the loss of a parent, uh, I went through divorce of parents, which I think kind of forced me into a growth period. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there's different things, but when I look back at my childhood and I, I can't speak to the death of a parent, but just thinking about my parents' divorce, I look back and I think I started doing things that, um, most kids weren't doing. And of course, divorce wasn't uncommon when my parents did it, but it wasn't I was, I was definitely the minority in my classrooms. I, most people still had intact families, but I recall when my parents divorced, I started, I I paid, I bought my first car. I paid for my insurance. I paid for my gas. I bought my school lunches and it's not that my father couldn't afford to do so. It's just, I felt like I wanted to help him and take some of that burden off of him. And, um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people going through uh, any type of loss, especially I I can't imagine losing a parent at that age, but I I can definitely see how it would kind of force you into uh, just certain things that most kids your age had no clue of. And I'm sure that you likely did mature before most of your friends. What do you think on that? I think in some ways. Um, I think some ways, yes, definitely. Um, I've always said, you know, like I I wish that maybe life would have afforded me more time to, you know, build sandcastles and do the things that kids do, you know, play with boxes, sticks and mud. And of course now that, that is far gone. It's, it's iPads, iPhones and I, whatever (laughs) at this point, but, um, but I wish that there were certain things that I could have maybe just retained that innocence a little bit longer. And I talk a lot of times about the awakenings that we have in life and death is certainly one of those awakenings. And when you know something, you can't unknow it. And I think whenever you go go through that maturity process, it's like, wow, I wish I could just go back to a moment of unknowing. And, you know, sometimes you'll hear people say, wow, I'd love to go back to my youth knowing what I know now. And I always say, (laughs) you know what? I would like to go back to my youth knowing what I knew then, (laughs) because there was innocence, there was uh, maybe lack of responsibility. And when you have an awakening such as you had, I can see where it just, it does change your life forever. And I don't know, it's, uh, it's just an interesting thing that when you have those awakenings, you can't go back. And I always use the example of, and I hope there's no kids listening to this podcast anyway, but maybe with, (laughs) with their parents, you know, um, but it's kind of like when you awaken to the fact that Santa Claus may not be real. Oh my gosh. Like you can't go back and, and have that innocence and, oh my gosh, that's, it's nauseating, you know? Yeah. Well, I do know, like, because I was not emotional, I wasn't falling apart. I do um, recall people always saying, you're so strong, you're so strong. And I 
that really didn't hold a whole, a whole lot of meaning to me at the time. I mean, I know it's supposed to be something positive, but as I've grown older, I've recognized there wasn't, it wasn't strength. Um, it was doing what I had to do to get by. Um, now, if I could go back and do things differently, I would. Um, but again, that's knowing what I know now, um, not what I knew at the time. Let me ask you a question about that. And, and I, I talk about this time to time about the things people say to others during a death, during a funeral or, or the days thereafter. And you just mentioned one that I'm not sure that I've ever really spoken of here. And it's, you're so strong. And, and again, it's, it's a statement. It's, uh, it's, I'm sure meant for comfort, but, um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that statement alone? And are there other statements that you find um, either helpful or not helpful in the grieving process? Um, you know, I truly, I guess from where I stand in my experience, it's, it's not, it's not about strength. It's just about surviving. And I guess when you see somebody who you want to say you're so strong and although that can be a compliment um, and, and to some people it would be, but also recognizing they're probably dealing with a lot more underneath and behind that, that they're just not showing um, they're wearing a mask or they're just trying to get through. They're putting on the brave face to make it through that there is more. Um, I have oh. I heard you listen to some of your other podcasts and, and, you know, that same question about things that people have said. And one thing that does pop up to me is um, most recently um, having a family member who they had also experienced a loss. And I know that their heart is in a great place or right. in a good place. Um, no one's intending to hurt other people, but they're, you know, trying to tell me how to grieve. And I guess in my mind, I'm thinking, do you not remember, like, I've lost my mother, like, not to said that out loud, but in my heart, I'm just like, it's just, it's frustrating, because it's like, you know, I've been through, I don't need to be told how to do this, or what this is going to be like, I have been through this. Um, so, and the funny thing is, is, um, so my dad died this past August. Um so 25 years after my mom died. So lost my mom at 14, lost my dad at 40. Um, and even though I've been through grief, oh my goodness, does it look so very different, mm. um, at 14 than it does at 40. Um, it has just been amazing to me just how different it is. So again, I, I kind of don't want to set up a situation where people feel like they can't say anything right to a person grieving, but just sometimes there's just nothing you can say. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but just to be present, to express your condolences. Um, That's why I, just, I tell people and meet them where they're at. I right. Think. I, I tell people, I think one of the best things that we can say is, you know, I'm here for you, period and walk away, you know, that I, because, or, or if, if you want to ask a question, um, what can I be for you right now? You know, as opposed to, um, imposing our beliefs, our values, our previous griefs on a person who's like you stated earlier in survival mode, you know, it's, uh, yeah. I don't know. It's there, there is nothing that you can say to a person in grief at that, at that point, you know, it's, it's more of just, but I do believe people are meaning well, it's just, they're trying to find connection. And I don't know that connections, what a person needs at that moment. They just need to know that I've got a shoulder to cry on. I've got somebody who can uh, maybe mow the yard or something, you know, just, be active in that person's life. Well, and, and it is nice to know that you're not alone. And that's what makes this podcast so wonderful is because you can hear other people's stories and hear, you know, I feel that exact same way. 
And that is so wonderful to hear. And I think sometimes when people say those things, they're glad to know that they're not alone and they want other people to know that. But sometimes the words just don't fall the way they're intended. Sure. Um, and, and I guess that too has tried to always be in the back of my mind through both the loss of my mother and my father is trying not to take what other people say too personally um, and realize, you know, it's not about, you know, it, it's, they're, they're well-intended. Nobody's out to intentionally try to hurt me. Right. Um, so, and, and that's not to be dismissive of other people who, who have felt very hurt by things that people have said. It just, it hits all of us differently. Um, so yeah, I don't know that there's a, an easy answer to that one. Um, I think what got me the most about that family members, I mean, that family members had just lost their own mother and I, they were grieving, um, and so I think in their effort to try to tell me how to grieve is they're also kind of processing their own grief. Um, but I think I'm 40 and I'm coping with the fact that I'm an orphan, um, that I've lost my mother at 14, um, which feels grossly unfair. Um, and now I've lost my father. I have had several people on here and, and, you know, it's, it's not age factor at all, but I've had several people in here who have lost both parents and I'm finding that quite unusual as I sit here and think about it, you know, being only 28 episodes deep into the grief observed podcast. And yet I can think of, I want to say three or four right off the top of my head of people who we've had the orphan discussion and yeah. that is amazing. That that's quite, um, astonishing numbers out of, you know, three or four out of 28 already where, you know, I know, um, two right off the bat in, you know, forties or fifties. And to me and with, with the way, um, I guess medical advancements are and things like that. I don't know a lot of 40 or 50 year olds that don't have at least one parent still living. Right. And you, you think about it logically. I mean, that's the natural course of things, right? I mean, sure. you know, you've had people on here that have lost their kids and that's not the way things are naturally supposed to happen. A parent's not supposed to bury their, their child, but it is much more likely and much more expected that, you know, you will lose a parent at some point in time, whether your heart's ready for it or not. Right. Is it an issue? But, but to just face that reality of, I don't have a parent. Like I am now the oldest generation. Like, um, where's the adult that's supposed to be above me <laughs> mm -hmm. um, to tell me how to be an adult, right. Or to lead the way. Um, that has to be eye opening right there. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I speak to a lot of my clients about, you know, the parenting process and, uh, one of the things I talk about is uh, this Russian psychologist, Lev Vygotsky, that talked about scaffolding. And it's just talking about, you know, how a parent needs to not parent too closely, not parent too far away where there's too much room for the kid to screw up. So you just kind of edge out a little bit, let the child know your knowledge level, then step out again. And it's just this process that you go through in life. And I talk about how even though my dad is... Uh, 72 coming up on 73 still today I, I feel like he does that stepping out and there's knowledge that i lean into him on you know i i had a a gas problem or a you know something i needed last year and i'm like dad hey and i absolutely it makes me nauseous to think one day i won't have that outlet you know and right. i i think there's i you're a parent as long as you live, you know, or it's, it's just a weird process, but when you don't have a parent to go to and you are that top generation at that point, that's gotta be an odd feeling. Yeah. And even though my dad wasn't an overly involved parent and um, he wasn't great at giving advice or teaching lessons, but it has been hard when I think of something that I'd like to call and tell dad about, like I can't. Um, and I had been, you know, I'd leave work, you know, 
typically, you know, once a week or so I'd give dad a call and check in. And so now I get in the car after work and it's like, I need to call dad. And then it's realizing I can't, um, and you miss him. Um, and it's hard and it, it is very different. Um, and I will say part of why I wanted to talk to you was because how drastically different the grief process has been for me with losing my mom at 14 and losing my dad um, at 40. So, you know, grieving my mom and, and I don't know, Brad, if you've been told this before, but I, one of the things I learned in about grief over the process of trying to figure out how to grieve my mom in a healthy way is when you, especially when you lose somebody that young is you kind of have to reprocess it at the different ages and stages of your life. Um, Cause at the time she died, I understood it as a 14 year old. Um, but as you get older, you've got to kind of reprocess it at, you know, as an adult, as a 20 year old or as a 30 year old or as a 40 year old. Um, and so grieving my mom, um, and I'm, you know, and know if you, as you've discussed in, in your other, uh, with your other podcast guests is grief isn't necessarily something that has an end, right. It, it's kind right. of ongoing. It is right. But for me, it was like, I hadn't grieved. Um, I had completely shut down my emotions. There's uh, one thing I want to bring out that uh, <clears throat> there, there's several different types of grief or names for grief. But when you think of new grief, that's grief that occurs right after a, a death. And then there's old grief, which is a death that we've not attended to. And it just kind of reappears later. But then there's something called new old grief. And that's when like a new grief triggers an old unprocessed grief. And I can see where that may lean into the fact, not that you didn't process, but again, you were so young that, you know, triggers of this new grief kind of brings in that old grief again. And it's like, wow, I, I don't know. I can see where you had to reprocess that whole set of information in your brain. So I don't know. Talk more about yeah. that. That's, yeah. that's interesting. So well, yeah. And so just to give an example of just how disengaged I was, um, my mom died at like six o'clock Friday morning, April the 3rd. Um, and I was told at six 30, my brother and my father woke me up and told me that my mom had passed. Um, but I was in the color guard and we were supposed to have had a practice that morning at eight o'clock. And I was, we were supposed to have our championship competition the next day. Um, and initially I called and told them I wouldn't be there. I told them what happened and then I wouldn't be there, but I was sitting there and I was like, I can't sit around this house all day, um, and just be sad, like, and do nothing. Like, so I did, I went on to practice. Um, I practiced like eight thirty something to noon that day. Um, I can't remember what happened the rest of the day. I do remember kind of emotionally falling apart that night. But the next day we had all day long competition and I went. Um, and, you know, people look at that and they admire that. I've had coaches admire it. And it was a source of pride for me that I just kept on going. Um, but knowing what I know now as a therapist and what I've learned about grief is I'm thinking, you know, I mean, I think I needed that. I, I don't question that. I think I needed to keep going. Um, but it wasn't healthy. Um, in some sense. Um, and I did, I just, you know, I, it was competition day. We probably left bright and early in the morning. We didn't get back to the late hours that night. If not the wee hours of Sunday morning, mom's funeral was on Sunday and I was back to school on Monday. I never missed a day of school. Um, I didn't, um, I didn't really skip a beat at all. Mm -hmm. Um, so life just kind of just kept going. Um, uh, so again, if I could go back and do it differently, I probably would, but also recognize that I guess experiencing it the way I did is part of why I am where I am now and doing what I do. Um, 
because through that hardship comes some understanding, um, things that I have learned that I can help others. What kind of, what kind of coping strategies do you think is, or, or I guess are more helpful than others or what's like maybe one that you really lean into that you think you would love to share with others? Um, coping strategies. I don't know. Um, one of the things that was most helpful for me was getting to, when I spent time with my mom's mom, my grandmother and her sister, my aunt, and they would talk about my mom and my grandmother was, was grieving my mom's death, um, to see her cry, um, and to miss her. Um, and even though at that time I wasn't openly showing those kinds of emotions, but it was just, it was nice to feel not alone. Um, and that was helpful. And then of course, over the years, you don't deal with grief. Um, you hold it inside, you stuff it down, you end up with depression. And I've dealt with depression most of my life. Um, I have had anxiety that preceded uh, my mother's death. Um, and then you start figuring out, hopefully, as I, as I grew up, I started figuring out I needed to deal with this. Um, and I started going to therapy, um, started working on processing it. Now it's looked different at different ages. Um, you talk about things that kind of are reminders of grief. I will say one of the big ones that I recall is a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine. His mom was diagnosed with cancer and she died within four months. And walking with him through that process really brought up some stuff about my mom. Um, and kind of made me move forward in that grief process. Mm. Um, so, and I've, you know, done other things. I can went to studied social work. I did my internship with, um, my bachelor's level internship with hospice. Um, I studied grief. I joined a grief group. Um, I went on to graduate school. I studied grief, um, in grad school. Um, and all of that has been helpful um, in letting me kind of process what happened and work through what I wasn't allowing myself to work through as mm -hmm. a teenager. Um, so when my dad died, this was a completely different experience um, with his loss and the grief that followed. And I tell you what, it has been just I don't know. It is a confusing mess. Um, my dad was healthy. He was fine. Um, we did learn back last April that um, he had an aneurysm under his heart that was beyond what they would be able to repair or do mm -hmm. anything about. Um, and I think this got my dad thinking about his mortality. Now he was 79 years old. Um, I'm not going to pretend that it hadn't been on his mind, but I could see changes. Uh, my dad who had not been very um, affectionate or sentimental. Um, I'm starting to see like he's talking about the past and he's being really sentimental and he's engaging differently with the grandchildren, my niece and nephews. Um, and I can see this change in him to the point that I stopped my brothers. I remember sometime in June, um, caught them. And I was like, look, it, something's going on with dad. I don't know what it is, but he's different. And I think he's thinking about his mortality. Like I could see that there was a change. Um, and so things, you know, and, but it was, it was great to see some of the changes to see him engaging with the grandchildren in a different way. Mm. Um, and to hear him talk about my mom, um, and those kinds of things, they, those were nice moments, but on, um, in August he was at home, um, and collapsed, um, and hit his head. He was on blood thinner. So he was bleeding all over the place. Um, his heart had stopped um, and the ambulance and the ER worked so very hard to revive him and they did get him revived. 
Um, he was in the hospital for three days um, before it was determined nothing else could be done. He was on life support, um, that nothing else could be done and life support was pulled um, and he passed. Um, but what was so different in that was, you know, from my mom's sickness um, and death, I wasn't present. I wasn't there. I, well, again, I'm 14. I don't know a whole lot about what's going on anyway. Um, just to have some self-compassion. I mean, truly a 14 year old is not going to understand those things, but I was there for, you know, with the exception of maybe five hours that he was in the hospital. Um, I was there the whole time and I understood what was going on. Um, my dad was also aware, which was crazy given everything. Like I was able, you know, he was intubated, so he couldn't talk. Um, mm -hmm. but I was able to, his eyes were open. He was alert. He knew I was there and I was able to explain to him, daddy, this is what happened. This is what's going on. Um, and I'd tell him, I love him. I agreed to him. I'd sing to him and he'd tell me I'd love him. He, he loved me back, which was amazing because I think in my lifetime, 40 years, I've maybe heard my father say, I love you a dozen times. Mm. <laughs> like, so that was just a very special moment. Um, but I was just able to be just very aware of everything that's happening. Um, and I also feel like in some ways I was prepared, not that any of us knew when this was going to happen or how this was going to happen. But like I mentioned, I think he knew something. Um, and because I watched him kind of processing, I when I'm assuming he was processing this mortality, um, and considering that his end may be near that, that also kind of mentally prepared me. Um, so just being present for his sickness and death was a very different experience than it was for my mom. Now the, after the death process, I tell you, Brad, I, I don't, that first week after he died, my brain stopped working. Mm -hmm. Um, I was functioning on like one brain cell. Um, like it truly things that you do by habit or instinct. I, I just, I couldn't do, I was having to do just one thing at a time. Um, uh, and I was fortunately able to take the week off work because there's no way, there's no way I could have seen clients that week. I just wasn't functioning well. Um, and even in the process of that week, like my brain not working, I ended up um, having to get two stitches in my finger because I sliced my finger open while trying to you know, cut a roll. Let me um, pause but, you right there real quick, because I think that's an important piece for people to understand that when you're going through grief of any kind, but especially, you know, physical loss of someone your brain is not in the right place and you are more susceptible to injury. And it's, that is a statistic, you know, that, so I think it's really important that, um, and I don't know that there's a good way to, to kind of bring that to awareness, but our minds aren't in a, a great place though. Yeah, I was trying to cut a frozen roll. Like I was trying to slice it open to make myself a sandwich. Again, you know, if, logically I knew better than that, but my brain just was not functioning. Like it mm -hmm. just wasn't there. Um, and that was a completely new thing for me. Um, and I will say even in the weeks that followed, um, my emotions have just been on high. Um, I had a rough time. Um, even that first month or so, I remember going on a work trip and um, it was the first time that I had had quiet alone time in my, like I was just anxious because I was not mentally prepared or mentally okay with just being alone and by myself mm. um, in that quiet time. Um, and again, where my emotions shut down after my mom died, I, they've just been wide open since my dad died. I feel everything, everything that makes me cry, positive things, you know, sad things like, um, and I have to say, I don't hate it. 
Um, I think that's what has made this experience with grief with my dad so different is because I'm feeling it. Um, but I also know what it's like to have it shut down and not feel it. Um, so it has been hard. Um, but I don't know if it's the grief work I've done, the grief that I have been through, but I, again, I just don't hate it. I, I've figured out how to embrace it, that this is part of the process of grieving that loss. Um, what do you think is the most surprising between the loss of your mom and the loss of your dad? Cause there there's a lot of years of maturity between those, you know, <laughs> 14 and now, right. Um, yeah. but what, what's the most surprising thing about grief this time? Again, it was just where my brain and my emotions have been. I never would have expected that for that first week afterwards. Like, I don't know if it's shock. Uh, I don't like, my brain just didn't function. And then just the raw emotions. Um, again, almost 25 years of my emotions being largely shut down. Um, and all of a sudden it's like the dam has opened. Mm. Um, so, and I'm not, I'm like kidding. Like there's there can be a sweet video on Facebook and I'm wanting to cry. I can sit in church. Um, and I want to cry, um, someone being kind to me. Um, so I don't know if it's, it's making up <laughs> for all the emotions that I refuse to let myself feel before. Um, but that has truly been the most shocking thing. The grief with my dad is, it has been confusing. It has been so very different. Um, but it doesn't feel unhealthy, I guess. I don't know if that makes sense or if that makes sense for your listeners. Yeah. Um, because I know that grief is big and scary and sometimes so overwhelming. And I don't want to diminish that for people, but I think in the process of learning about grief with my mom and trying to process that, I learned a lot about death and dying and, you know, I learned a lot about how, I mean, my opinion, um, but how our culture just doesn't have a healthy approach to death and dying. Um, we kind of want to pretend like it's not going to happen. We may in our brain know that one day it's going to happen, but we just kind of live our lives. Like we're going to have people and things forever. And when that is the mindset, then grief feels so much bigger when it happens. Yeah. Um, so I knew that I knew something was going on with my dad. I knew the end was near. I didn't know when exactly, but I knew it was near. So as hard as it was, it wasn't, I don't know, I don't know how to put it. I mean, it was overwhelming, but it wasn't devastating, I guess. Um, Have you found any like new meaning of life since the passing of your father? New meaning of life? I don't know. <laughs> um, this is what I do say. Life is hard. Life is hard sometimes. And having my spiritual beliefs and having so many loved ones in heaven, it certainly makes heaven so much more appealing. Oh, um, yes. And I covet that day that I get to be in that realm um, and to see my loved ones to be in a happier, healthier place. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that's the answer you were looking for, but I think, um, I don't know, death isn't, and I think too, what research I had done is you know, oftentimes when a child loses a parent, you, and even well, I think it even happens when anybody experiences a loss that death becomes so much more reality and you do see people contemplating suicide or death dying a lot more 
um, when they experienced something like that. So, you know, since 14, I knew my mom was in heaven and I looked forward to the day that I got to see her again. Um, as a young, as a kid and as a young adult, I never thought I was going to make it to 40, um, which I understand is also kind of a common thing for um, kids that experience the loss of a parent like that. Yeah, in the last few years, I've read a lot of books about heaven or, um, I guess, I don't know, the what we're uh, to expect in the next life. And I just ordered a new book from Greg Laurie. I've, I've not read much about it yet, but it's called As It Is in Heaven. And I'm looking forward to getting that book. Um, I know my wife has read uh, Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of books that just mention, you know, what we are to see ahead of us. And, and I think there's nothing like a death that kind of puts that on the radar for believers, especially, but I think it also sometimes will wake up a non-believer or an unbeliever. Um, but I don't know, it's, um, I don't think that we can fathom that, but you know, there's so many things in the Bible and I always bring up first Thessalonians four thirteen through 18, which talks about the hope that we have that, you know, those who don't believe do not have. And, and I think it's great to know that, yes, we will be reunited once again. And, um, the older I get, I think the more forward I look to those moments, you know, Years ago, if you would have talked to me 10 years ago, 20 years ago, it's like, yeah, I want to live forever and I want to do this, that, and, you know, whatever. But now it's like, I, I don't have a bucket list. I don't really, there's there's nothing more. And, and it's not that I don't want to keep living. I do. But I am looking forward to that day as well. And uh, and I think you look at the world and, and just the shape it's in and um it makes you look more forward to those moments in heaven, you know, the earthly end, yeah. but it's not the end for us. And that's the great thing. Yeah. And I know like, you know, conversations with coworkers, with friends, and you talk about death and, and people kind of panic. There's many that are just so uncomfortable with just discussion of death. Um, and I don't fear death. Um, I've, I've had people I love, um, that have paved that way for me. Um, and again, not doing anything to rush that in, but I do look forward to that day Yeah, um, where of no more troubles, um, reunited with loved ones. Um, so yeah. So as far as my perspective on life, I guess that's it. It's yeah. I mean, life, I, I do often think I, you know, I am single and childless. So when I'm gone, this, uh, you know, at this point in my life, it's going to fall on my brothers and my niece and my nephews. So I'm always thinking like, what burden am I leaving them? So, you know, trying to make sure things are taken care of um, to make it as easy. Cause I don't want to be a burden. Um, mm when and if that time comes, well, when that time comes, I guess. Sure. Sure. Um, so I guess that's probably just been the biggest thing is just, yeah, just, I don't, not fearing death and looking forward to seeing my mom and my dad and my grandmother, all those other people that have gone before me. It's going to um, be one crazy reunion when we get there, you know, it is. <laughs> friends, family, and, uh, I, I can't imagine a bigger party ever. So yeah. <laughs> well, Nancy, yeah. I know we're closing in on our hour here and, and I always give my guests that, that final word, the final thought, or just anything that you think we missed. And, and I'll just go ahead and tell you too, that I'd love to have you back maybe six months to a year and, you know, we'll, we'll check in and just see, has your grief journey changed at all? So that's, that's an open invitation to you. Um, but what are, what are your final thoughts here with us? So I think in my journey, one of the biggest things is learning to have self-compassion. Mm. Um, 
to honor yourself and, and to feel your emotions and to be okay with it, to know that it's temporary. It won't last forever. Um, you know, I think, what was it? Did one of your guests say something about tears being that expression of love or grief being that expression of love and yes. just to honor that um, and honor your own form of grief because there is no right or wrong way um, as a therapist and as a person who has been through grief, I do have some concerns when people shut down um, and don't try to feel their feelings or address their grief because I know the con the long-term consequences of that. But that's also not necessarily wrong as because you shut down because you don't feel safe in feeling it or um, don't feel safe in expressing it. Or maybe you don't know how, maybe it's too overwhelming. Um, so just to have compassion for yourself um, and for others, because I will say my brothers are grieving very differently than I am. Mm. Um, and just have compassion. It's going to look different. Um, and I know that you've discussed the five stages of grief and you're right. Like we don't necessarily believe in the five stages of grief, but I do think that it is a great tool, um, in helping people normalize the various emotions that come from it. Um, and to allow themselves to have some compassion um, for what their grief journey looks like, but ask for help. Yes. Um, I hope that people can have the insight to recognize when they're stuck um, or when they're shut down and to reach out to um, family, to friends, to professionals, to seek help on figuring out how to work through um, because the weight of unaddressed grief can be a miserable burden to carry. Um, you know, and it can, you know, when we don't deal with stuff like that, there can be health, physical health issues, mental health issues, um, relational issues that come from that. So I know that it's big and tough and scary, but have compassion for yourself and reach out um, to others to help you because we were never intended to go through life alone. Um, yeah. we survive in communities with others. You know, on the um, self-compassion piece, I, I want to put out a plug. Um, I've not even spoken to this person yet, but I, I've been to a continuing ed that was, uh, I guess hosted by this person. And I want to put a plug out to them and it's, uh, Morris Baker Funeral Home in Johnson City, Tennessee. There, there's a guy there named Preston. And uh -huh. just this very day, today, I got an email and it was talking about, the, the bulk of it was talking about self-compassion. And one of the things that was in there was from Dr. Kristen Neff. And I've not read any of her things or looked at any of her research, but I will tell you this. I literally took this test that I'm going to post in the uh, show notes today and it's on self-compassionate. How self-compassionate are you? And I'll tell you that my score was very low. It was eye-opening when I read some of the questions and it's like, wow, I am so hard on myself yet. I'm so compassionate to others. Why don't I show myself some of that same compassion? And so I really, I'm going to put it in there and, and I hope that listeners will take the test um, and just, if you score low, don't beat yourself up, but again, give yourself <laughs> compassion. Right. Um, right. but it is eye opening, and it is something it's like, okay, now I've got, uh, I guess a baseline, you know, go back and take that test in a couple of months. Are you loving yourself more? And there's a lot of things that you can do to do that. It's, uh, I feel a little bit overworked lately, whether it's between my regular job as a therapist or here on the podcast, but I normally get a massage once a month. And right now I am ramping it up to every other week because <laughs> I'm in a place that I need it, you know, and, and that right there says, I love me. Um, not in a, a boastful or prideful way. It just means that I need more self-compassion right now. I need to love myself so I can pour back into others. 
And I think there's no no place in life like grief that really just tears somebody down to a place where they're not self-compassionate. So I'm going to put that in, in the show notes. Um, I'm also going to put Nancy's email in the uh, show notes. If you've connected with her today, Nancy, thank you so much for being on the show. I, I appreciate your professional knowledge. I appreciate just your, your knowledge about grief. And, and I'm definitely sorry that you've gone through these losses. Uh, again, being what I would consider an early orphan, um, in adult life, but, uh, I, I really appreciate you. Know, I hope you do come back and, uh, just really appreciate you being here today. Well, thank you again for having me. And I hope this has been helpful for others. I've certainly enjoyed being able to share. Yeah. So. I, I'm certain that, that others will, will definitely take away some nuggets from this today. Um, thanks again for being here on the grief observed podcast. Uh, again, if you want to be on the show, give me give me a shout. Just send me an email, and we'll make that happen. Um, I hope you've been blessed by this episode, and keep tuning in. I've got many more coming, and uh, maybe one day you'll be able to share your grief story with us. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.